Jason, thanks again, man, for coming to my family's Thanksgiving. I really don't see this side of the family yeah, too no, often. No, no problem, man. Always ready to help out a friend. Oh, my stars. Look who's here. Hank! Hank! He's here! Oh, oh, you two come inside. Oh, don't you guys both look so adorable. And Alex, you brought a friend. Aunt Millie, this is my friend Jason. He's the one I do the podcast with. Hello. Well, aren't you handsome with your cute little beard and your thick frame glasses? Oh, I always knew Alex had good taste. What? No. Oh, sorry, sorry. I just sensed since you you brought him here to Thanksgiving that he was your someone special, Alex. I mean, I, I am special. I have a podcast. Oh, is that something that the gays do? No, no. It's it's kind of like a like an internet radio show. I see. Well, I was just hoping to tell Miss Becky that I had a gay nephew. She's got two, don't you know? Why don't we just introduce Jason to the rest of the family? Okay, listen up, everyone. This is Alex's not-gay boyfriend, Jason. Oh, Jason, this is my husband, Hank. Make America great again. Alex, what did he say? I could only make out Make America Great Again. Trump Pence 2020. I'm really sorry. He's just really political. Hank! What did I tell you? No politics at Thanksgiving. No, no, it's all right. I mean, I've got my own highly political family members. Well, truth be told, I didn't vote for Trump. Number sign, I'm with her. But when Trump picked Mike Pence as his VP, mmm, that sweet ass. Aunt Millie, remember, no politics at Thanksgiving, even if you're praising the vice president's backside. Oh, there's my son, Robbie. Robbie, come meet your cousin's completely heterosexual friend. Hey, Robbie. What you got there? Uh, it's a lighter. I like to burn things. Burn things? Like having bonfires and stuff? Mainly like cats, dogs, my dad's underwear. That's messed up. Little Robbie's our arsonist in the family. We couldn't be more proud. Oh, there's Grandpa George. Jason, I'm so, so sorry. My family's a little insane. Dude, no worries, man. I mean, I think you might need to keep an eye out on your cousin. And your aunt's got a thing for Pence's poop shoot, but, dude, it's not that bad. Okay, cool. Thanks, man, for just having an open mind and, again, coming with me, all right? Grandpa George? Hey, George! Alex, I don't I don't think he's breathing, man. Oh, my goodness, he doesn't even have a pulse. <laughs> oh, my Lord, did he just pass? He's with Jesus now. Well... Turkey's done, we better eat. Aunt Millie, you gotta be kidding me. There's a dead man in the recliner. Well, we could either eat now or file a police report. I don't know about you, ungrateful nephew, but my father did not fight Germans in World War I or World War II to have you delay our Thanksgiving dinner. (coughs) Robbie, stop trying to burn the dog! Dude, I know it just got really weird, but... Um, I'm kind of hungry. No, Jason, this has to violate some type of law. Just one plate? Okay, one plate. But if Grandpa George starts to smell, I'm out. All right, everyone, let's gather around this feast. Everyone except George. Oh, I see you brought sarcasm to this lovely dinner. Well, you can stuff it up that turkey's beehole. All right, maybe we should just say grace. Well, Jason, it's good to see someone hasn't forgotten our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has a new friend. (laughs) Daddy, Hank, would you like to say the blessing? Uh, Dear Lord, uh, build the wall and 
lock her up. Amen. Wow, Hank. That was lovely. Just frickin' lovely. Robbie, do you have a couple words you'd like to say? Uh, dear Jesus, uh, th thank you for fire and dogs and the way dogs burn. Okay, thank you, sweetie. Okay, I guess I'll just do it myself. Jesus, thank you for this food that you have blessed us with. And I'm also so thankful for my family, even though they are truly awful. And please, Lord, protect that silver fox, Mike Pants. Uh, Happy New Year! Oh, Grandpa George! <laughs> Dude, that's good, man. That's hilarious. I'm just saying. You said uh, Mike Pence's poop shoot. I did, man. So, all the churches out there who want to hire Jason as their pastor, there you go. Well, I mean, hey, we wanted to bring some some dysfunctional family to you. Yeah, I mean, can we all be thankful that that really isn't anybody's family, hopefully, that they're going to? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but... But like we know, family stuff can get weird sometimes. So you just gotta you just there, gotta bite the knuckle and just walk in there and just eat as much turkey and talk to as few people as possible. There are seasons. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just like say, like I love my family, dude, and I, I do love too. our family tradition. Yep. It, it is rare, and a lot of families don't get to experience it. And uh, that's but you know, holiday stuff can get weird. Families can get weird, and so we wanted to have Hillary McBride on today and yeah, uh, dude. take our therapist to Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, this was a really great interview, and you guys are really going to enjoy it. She gives some very just easy but practical things to do this uh, Thanksgiving season, so when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this uh, on Friday or maybe on your way to That's your Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. just take, take a couple notes. Find yourself, find your center. <laughs> I like the hand motions. <laughs> and execute. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This 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 one's to listen to like on your way to that Thanksgiving dinner. If if you're in that family situation. Absolutely. But anyway, guys, we really hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you had a good laugh with the skit. And listen to us. Listen to two guys who could not make it as pastors. Try and interview somebody who's way smarter than us. Yeah. This is not your pastor's Thanksgiving special. All right, everybody, we are here with the one and only Hillary McBride. Hello. And... We're going into the holidays, Alex. Yes, we are. I'm excited. What what goes on in Canada around the fourth Thursday of November? What happens in Canada? Nothing. Oh, okay. Nothing. You hang out. You do whatever you're going to do on a Thursday. Um, and that's pretty much it. Although some people who are lucky enough to have American friends will go down to the States for... Uh, for American Thanksgiving, when I was in university, I had tons of American friends, and we would usually get the Thursday off. And sometimes I, we would have like a big American Thanksgiving up in Canada. But generally speaking, uh, the the real Thanksgiving happens in October. The the real, real. one. I, I know. I thought that would incite some 
some distress in you. So is that like <laughs> is that like a rumor then? Like you, I thought I always grew up thinking that Canadians got two Thanksgivings, but it's no. it's just uh, Canadians with American friends. Yeah, <laughs> or that's if I'm understanding right, college students. Yeah, is pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I only know that from watching hockey. So. Oh wow! Okay. I don't know what like. Uh, Canadian education. Yeah, that's yep. That and the Red Green Show. I don't know. Okay, good. If you're familiar with that, but I am highly reputable sources. Hockey yes. Night in Canada and Red Green Show. <laughs> that's how we uh, we end each of our shows with always keep your stick on the ice, and that's from the Red Green Show. No way! Oh my goodness! Yeah, and so, Canadian. I had no idea. That's fantastic. Yeah, not very many people catch that reference, but <laughs> it's very very uh, there's a niche. Reference niche audience for sure That's right so yeah. let's talk about uh thanksgiving traditions what, what do you do for thanksgiving hillary you you visit family what's like I your visit- family tradition yeah well because i don't eat meat and i have a potato allergy and oh what? Allergy, i yeah i'm allergic to chicken and beef and oh pork my and all sorts of stuff so i eat normal everyday food sometimes once in a while I get something special like a like a a vegetarian something and a little squash my mom did that for me one year um and so there's is that all potatoes even sweet potatoes no okay so yeah I know (laughs) I got scared for you honestly honestly I could do without turkey I could do without meat but I don't think I could go without potatoes oh man yeah it's something special but um (laughs) Yeah, so usually family time, connecting with family, um, because my husband's family lives nearby, but they're on an island near where we live. Uh, we've got to take the boat over, take the ferry, and what? we usually spend a day or two with them, and then we spend a day or two with my family. So we get lots of food and quality time, um, but Thanksgiving usually falls right around the time that midterms do, so... For the last several years, I've been like, hey, really good to see you. I'm going to go hang out and do work on a paper in a different room while everybody else hangs out and plays games or something like that. So my family traditions usually involve um, no turkey and lots of homework, but such is the life of a, of a perpetual student. Now, does your family like... Like, I think you told us before that your parents were therapists too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So how does that, how does that come into play? Or if at all, like, I don't know. I always picture like the therapist, like, I don't, to me, it's hard to imagine taking off that therapist hat and analyzing people. Yeah, well, we, we tend to not do that, but our interests are so similar. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this. My brother also has training as a therapist. Oh. So and there's four of us. So it's pretty wild to get us together. But my husband has no interest in that whatsoever. <laughs> so usually the, kind of the running joke is everyone will be talking about dream analysis or some sort of like, what was the most recent? We were talking about object relations theory. And... And then my mom or someone realized like, oh, Kevin, Hillary's husband hasn't said anything in a little while. So it kind of goes quiet. And then she'll say something like, oh, have you seen any good movies lately, Kevin? <laughs> like like any, looking for anything that they know about him that he likes that they can connect to. And then somehow whatever they say will relate to some sort of um, – you know, theory about human development. And so we go back into talking about that and then it's another hour and someone goes, Oh, Ke- Kevin, how's work right now? So, so that's kind of the dynamic at family. But I, um, I have some people in, in my family and in my extended family who have very different political 
sociological, spiritual views. And so it always makes for interesting dinner table conversation when you get everyone together and you're trying to be thankful for each other, trying to be sometimes. And sometimes it's harder than other times, right? And that's, I think, Thanksgiving represents that for so many people is getting all these people in a room that you feel like you're supposed to love, supposed to connect with, but you feel like all it does is create tension and distress to be with them. So I don't know if that resonates for any of you, either of you or any of your listeners, but I think that's a pretty normal Thanksgiving experience. Yeah. Alex, what's your, what's your Thanksgiving look like? Cause I don't think I've ever asked you what yours. Uh, I, I show up, I Good. eat <laughs> and I nap. Well, you got the trifecta. Right yeah. There. <laughs> I should show up, eat and nap. Uh, I, for Perfect. the longest time growing up, I, I thought that Thanksgiving was a special holiday because we actually prayed for our food. Cause I didn't grow up in like a, a, a Christian okay. home so like we it was just like that was like the one day of the year that we prayed for our meal so I'm like oh this is the this is the holiday where we pray for our food and then just move, move along yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> move along past the gravy come on right so that's about huh. that's about it and then I always take a nap and then because I'm not into football at all like Right. I'm always like, can we turn on like a hockey game? And then I realize they're not playing because everybody's watching yeah. football. It's, it's all football. <laughs> and then I just, I just don't care about football. There, I said it. It's out there on the podcast. Oh, I don't goodness. care about football. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Alex, that's sacrilegious. Yeah, uh, you're gonna have America. to, you're gonna have to go forward on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm gonna repent of my sins yeah. and not loving football. Ooh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. What about you, buddy? Yeah, uh, our family is man. I thought. Holy crap. Sorry. Just like we just did our Halloween store episode and did, did like right? a bunch of ghost stories and stuff. And I thought I saw somebody in the corner of your basement. Oh, no. no I'm not kidding. You got, your all self, you got yourself all spooked out. Yeah. No, that's that's just something hanging off of the, the clothesline. Yeah. Line. No, totally. It just, it just caught the corner of my eye. So don't bring that demon Ooh. stuff here, Ricky no, Bobby. I, I, <laughs> no, uh, Thanksgiving in our family uh, on my mom's side is gigantic. So she's got three brothers, two sisters. So there's six kids there. All of them have multiple children and all of them have multiple children. Wow. Full and, house. Yes. And so it's like a, a thousand square foot house with about... 50 60 people in it no and way most of those people are under the age of 10 and so it is it's actually it's it's a blast so um we're all spread out throughout the states and we all get mm-hmm. together in uh, right outside of indianapolis and so okay. we spend the weekend there so it's it's like you go you know all year without seeing your family and then it's like family overload <laughs> like that's right it's really intense and so like you get past that initial phase of like oh how are you are you still working here yeah how's your sports team doing they're doing great you know how's <laughs> how's your job going it's going it's going well and and then you like by the end of it you're starting to get into like deep family stuff <laughs> right and yeah sometimes that can be intense and for the most part our family gets along uh gets along pretty great it's like and we do the traditional we all go around the table like all the kids and all everybody yeah form a big circle hold hands and everybody says what they're thankful for Mm. and it's it's awkward but you kind of like you you try to savor it too because you know not many families do that right yeah so like you try to like cherish it and get through it and not miss any football because our 
I'm kind of with you, Alex. Like, I, I love sports, so I could watch anything. And so our family is big sports-oriented. And so when I went to my wife's first Thanksgiving and there was no sports on, I was like, what's what's going on? <laughs> like, I have to interact. Like, we just turn on the TV and that's what right. everybody does. <laughs> we, we, oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, the conversation comes up about the game. <laughs> and we don't have to, like... Go wow. beyond that, you know. That's like I, a, kind of an interesting sociocultural analysis to say that. Like the game is on so we don't have to interact. Uh, like there is this thing that gets in the way of us having to to feel together and to connect and to have real dialogue and interaction. And isn't that what we do with our phones? Isn't that what we do with TV and the internet all the time? Yeah. Not just at Thanksgiving. Like it's just so hard to be to be with each other without there being any kind of aid. Yeah, it, it definitely does get tough. And so it's like, so we do like the big events really, really well, you know, like, like mm. for the kids, like we do like a flag football game or, or um, it's all for the kids. You yeah. Know? Our, <laughs> you make it seem like it's normal. You know, my uncle, he's well known track coach and he's just the okay. coach of the family and, right. you know, we, he has a relay race for all the kids and gives them all medals and stuff. So, like, there's these big events. And then it's in the downtime, you know, where you would grow, grow deeper with somebody or get to know somebody mm. better. And that's, like, I think everybody's so exhausted from the big events. It's just like, okay, my mind's – it's off right now. There's nothing right. left. I'm tired, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's all going to happen in um, – a little while. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be by, living by the, that out. Yeah. By the time we post this episode, it'll be it'll be that weekend. Yeah. Wow. Insane. So, Hillary, we, we have you on mm -hmm. today, obviously, to talk about a couple things, but we wanted to yeah. obviously talk about what would it look like to bring a therapist to a family get together like a Thanksgiving I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious to what you would charge. So, say you had a client was like, because that's because that's a house call. Because doctors yeah. usually charge. Yeah, for like house I calls. can't make it with my family. I need you. You uh -huh. have to come with me. Uh huh. And yes. Like, how much Third. would that cost the whole weekend? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> you're asking for a friend. Yeah. Uh, maybe my maybe I would charge my hourly rate. Although maybe I'd give someone a discount. If they gave me some really good vegetarian food, yeah. maybe, I'd, maybe I'd do it. Yeah, I think um, what an interesting premise, though, like to have to have one of your resources or your allies as a therapist, like come into a really difficult family situation. I mean, I, I know you're joking, if not fully, then at least partly. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I kind of like, I just need you to come and tell me who's crazy and who's not crazy. Yeah. You know? uh, I'm, I, I, I can't right? diagnose or, that. Or am I wrong? I just picture everybody crying by the end of it, figuring out who they really are. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens. Although as therapists, we like to have, we like to have vacations too. And I always, I learned this from my dad actually to say, um, people say, are you analyzing me right now to say, are you paying me right now? Oh, that's that way, good. If they're uh, if I'm not working, then I'm not working, right? If I'm not um, if I'm not in a session, then I'm probably just hanging out and eating Cheetos or whatever. Except yeah. I can't eat Cheetos, but you know the whole thing. Um, yeah, it's so. Wouldn't it be so interesting to have somebody come and be like, "Yeah, that person really does have a personality disorder." No, <laughs> it's it's okay that it's hard to interact with them. They are legitimately 
intertwined in some pretty intense psychopathology there. That would be perhaps very helpful. Although, you know, what I find is that it's really actually quite hard to be at events where people are just kind of being themselves because people don't want to have their behavior called out and addressed. It's like we want to live in this illusion that we don't have to take responsibility for things. So often at things like Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas where there's tension and awkwardness, people don't want the honesty of a therapist who says, that's not okay to do that. Or what's going on for you when you say that? Or um, can you tell me more? They, they want to stay hidden or distracted or um, covered up or numb. Drink mimosas, you know. That's right. <laughs> Self-medicate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Grab another piece of pumpkin pie. Yeah. yeah, no one wants the therapist there to say, what are you feeling? And what would it feel like to not eat that extra piece of pie? Is there an emotion that perhaps <laughs> you're trying to numb? <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants that. Uh, or like <laughs> they want to eat their pie. <laughs> or like your grandma's enabling, like you're trying to decide pumpkin or apple pie, which one do you eat? And she's like, right. well, you can have both, honey. Like, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, grandma. Have the therapist there be like, grandma, perhaps you need to set some firmer boundaries with your <laughs> And I'm wondering... What it means for you to be a grandma who is permissive and allows them to have what they want. If that makes you feel like they are more, you know, more loving towards you. And so you feel more valuable as a grandma if they can have both pieces of pie. Nobody wants that. They just want both pieces of pie. And grandma wants to feel like she gets to enable. (laughs) You just made grandmas mad everywhere, I feel like. Oh, I know. I know. It's true. That's what I mean. Nobody wants the therapist there. Unless they're ready to do the work. (laughs) so what are some tips like how for people going into tense family situations are they're going to be around family uh what are how how can they make it through yeah so what i'll say is making it through the night goes much longer than the time that you're actually at the event and it starts much earlier than the event actually begins. So what I mean by that is if you're going to a really stressful family event that starts at four, don't numb yourself and distract and be busy all morning. Take some time to do some self-care. See if you can ground yourself. You're going to be much less reactive to your uncle's political comment if you feel like you're in a good space than if you feel like you're exhausted and tired and distracted and irritable going in. So make sure that you've done some self-care on the front end and then do a little bit of self-care on the back end too. Make sure that you have something that you can look forward to at the end of the evening. Perhaps carve out some time to do some journaling, go for a walk by yourself, have a friend that you can call or talk to your partner about the things that came up for you at the event, a place to debrief them if you need to. Because that's part of the distress at a lot of these events is that things happen, but there isn't necessarily the space to actually process what's going on. You just kind of have to keep keep your mouth shut. So plan some self-care ahead of time. Plan something to look forward to or some space for self-care after. And that can really set you up for success regardless of what happens during the event. Next, what I might suggest just kind of off the top of my head would be to have some boundaries So decide some of the things that you don't want to talk about or some of the things that you feel like um, indicate for you that a button's been pushed and that can tell you maybe this isn't a conversation that I should keep pursuing. So within yourself or social cues. So if there's something that's really stressful going on that you don't want to talk talk about, just make that 
make that point in your mind that you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to talk about it, but then come up with some sort of strategy about how you can get out of that conversation. So some people are more comfortable than others with saying things like, ah, you know, I'm not really into talking about that right now, but I'd love to tell you about such and such. Other people might feel like it's too hard to actually say, I'm not comfortable to talk about that, but would prefer to change the subject or say, you know, oh, someone, you know, someone just needs me in the kitchen or I just, I think I heard my cell phone or whatever it is, right? These decoy strategies to get out. That's where I, that's where I throw in. How about them lions? (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. This is a great game. (laughs) That's right. Sure. Sure. And so you might want to come up with a few different strategies. Like what can I say if someone wants to talk about a particular political leader or political situation that I don't feel like is going to be productive for us? Can, what are the different ways that I can respond? And what I would suggest is that you actually practice those ahead of time. So what we know is that when you say something and you actually form the words with your mouth and hear yourself say it, one, you're probably going to be able to understand how it comes across to another person a little bit better because you might hear yourself and go, oh, I wouldn't like if someone said that to me. But two, you're creating a neurological framework that makes it easier to access those words later when they've actually come out of your mouth before. So any kind of rehearsal doing something makes it a lot easier to get back to doing it in the future because it's almost like you get this kind of neurological muscle memory, like you've done it a few times and so your brain knows, oh, that's that's where I can go and that's what it feels like to go there. So I would encourage you or whoever to try and say things like, ah, yeah, I'm just not really into, you know, why don't we just not talk about that today? We can leave politics for another time. We got the rest of the year to deal with it. Or saying something like, you know, I think if I'm totally okay if we talk about that as long as we can keep respectful, you know, and we can stay attentive and listening to each other or, you know, how about we talk about something else right now and we'll wait till um, we'll wait till the turkey's done to talk about politics. So find some way to rehearse these diversions from topics that don't feel like they're of interest to you. Yeah. Does that sound so far? That sounds, uh, I was going to just email my family a list of trigger words. <laughs> <laughs> don't say yeah. these. No, <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that's, that's solid. I would have never thought about rehearsing, especially the self care, like you talked about before. Cause that, that's like, that's one of my things. Like I said, we spend the weekend and I love my family to death, yeah. but it's like the first day you get there, it's full of travel, you know? And yeah. so you're just exhausted and tired and haven't had time to, to really think about these things so much mm-hmm. it's just okay i'm getting there like alex said step yeah. one being present like <laughs> that's important yeah, you, you, you use nicer words but yeah sometimes you say things more goodly than i do but anyway <laughs> <laughs> i think it's also okay to say to people like when you walk in the door i've said this at different family gatherings let's not talk about trump okay well, everybody uh, Let's decide for this Thanksgiving that we're just going to talk about a bunch of other things. Can everyone agree? And then when someone brings it up, you can say, hey, we're not going to talk about that. We already agreed. Yeah. So that was one of my things. So last year, our family is regionally diverse, like occupationally diverse. You got Mm -hmm. people who are school teachers. You got people who are sell farm equipment and the, you know, there's, there's a yeah. big, there's a big difference there. You got former, you know, vets and, uh, military personnel. And my, uh, my aunt writes a, 
a letter to the entire family, kind of just like a quick catch-up letter. But at the end of the last year's letter, she said, leave the politics at home. <laughs> right. And it was, for the most part, I didn't hear any political discussions going on up front. I'm, I'm sure they were happening in the background, but it, it seemed to work pretty well. And that's one of the questions mm-hmm. I had to ask, was going to ask you, is that that solid advice, just tabling it? Yeah, you could do that. Or you can say, let's put some ground rules around talking about politics. If we can't do that in a way that's safe, the ground rule is you got to take 30 seconds between when the person stops talking and when you respond. That way there's going to be no knee-jerk reactions, no saying cruel things just because they tumbled out of your mouth. If you can't do that, then you can't have a conversation about politics. So we're not going to do that. You could set some ground rules. Um, You can also say... If make a personal statement for yourself, like a commitment that if someone's going to talk about politics with you, that you can just say, oh, that would, you know, can you help me understand how you see it that way? And I would love to know a little bit more about what it is about that that matters to you. And not trying to rebut or change anyone's mind, but simply trying to promote understanding and dialogue and discourse um, through the art of listening. It's weird because I feel like in my family, like the the hot button issue isn't necessarily uh, politics, but it's it's kind of more along the lines of like family gossip. And oh, okay, so I mean, for the most part, we I'm sure most of us in my family, we you know we lean more to towards a more political persuasion. So like that's that I mean, we're all pretty much on the same page on that. So that doesn't really come up. Mm, but like sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, well, did you know what? aunt so-and-so did to their kids or did you know yeah. what or it's like do you do you see what i mean i think this is a big thing now especially in our in our culture with with how uh, health conscious we we're starting to become is like well they're they're eating this type of food or and right. that, that's at least the, that's at least what i find in my in my family like well there's there's this kind of turkey then there's this turkey, and then there's this turkey, and you have to make right. sure you pick the right turkey, otherwise somebody's, <laughs> somebody's going to yell at you. And it's, right, just, right. And it's like, I got a whole plate full of pie, and it's like, well, did you get the organic pie? I was like, no, I got oh. the I got the pie that we bought at Sam's Club, like because I, I don't know. I didn't know there was a difference. Nobody put out signs. Right. right. So I feel like that's where, so, where I'm at. Yeah. You know what makes me – the gossip makes me think about how how gossip, kind of like I was saying about – TV or the game, when I made that comment earlier, it acts as a really strategic tool to get in the way of us having to really connect with each other about things that are real. And so gossip can be a very effective way of feeling like you're getting close to someone without actually having to do anything vulnerable. It's easier to talk about somebody else and to feel like you bond over the absurdity of whatever that person's doing instead of saying this is what's going on for me in my life and this is what's happening and these are the ideas I'm interested in and so what I might suggest is if somebody starts gossiping and talking about somebody else in the family and that's something you've decided that isn't it doesn't work for you and isn't healthy for the family then instead of saying don't you know don't gossip just say what is it about that that bothers you I want to hear I want you to tell me about you I don't get to see you all year I don't want to hear about auntie Shirley I want to hear about you so tell me when you heard her doing that, what did that what did that mean for you? And it seems like health is super important for you, and that's something that I didn't notice until now. Tell me about your journey about wanting to be more healthy. And so redirect the conversation back towards the person and themselves, and 
and maybe even at some point outright say that I don't want to hear about so and so I want to hear about you they're not here you're here with me or you could do that by saying saying something about yourself like yeah I totally get your perspective because health is super important to me and I'm, I'm learning a lot more about it so tell me about why uh, you know if, if I'm trying to just get educated about the difference between the pies what why is it important to have an organic pie could you tell me more about that could you educate me you make it sound so easy. <laughs> that's what I keep. That's what I keep going back to. It's like this sounds really easy. Like it's it's really. It's like, I, I feel like the 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 advice that you just gave about practicing even beforehand, mm-hmm. and just like maybe just thinking about like almost like having a script in your head. Like okay, they're gonna sure. say this, so this should be my response back to that. Like I, yeah. I, I've never really thought about it that way. I always just kind of, like I said, and like I said earlier, like I just show up, and there's no real yeah. mental preparation. Maybe, maybe that's my problem. <laughs> With really loaded events, I mean, you would never show up to a performance of any other kind and not prepare. Sometimes family events are like a performance. If you want them to go well, you have to tuck certain parts of your your identity away to feel like there can be a sense of connection, or you have to figure out how you're going to let those parts of you be seen in a way that allows you to feel, um, yeah, like you can still connect with everybody there. And so it's, it's an art truthfully. And like with any other kind of skill demonstration, there's a ton of work that needs to go into making it be effective. I mean, it sounds easy for me from me because remember I say these things all day long. Mm -hmm. And so I'm steeped in the ability to divert, conversations when clients come in and they they're coming in and they're having a panic attack but all they want to talk about is what you know the person at their work sitting in the cubicle next to them ate for lunch um that's not going to help that person change and so I regularly say things like I know that sounds really important to you but I'm wondering more about why it's important to you and can you tell me more about you because that person's not here and their lunch isn't here I want to hear about you you're paying all this money to be with me. I'm, I want to be with you, not the story of your office mate. So because I practice those things all the time, they, they sound a little bit more fluid coming out of my mouth, but you might be able to practice them too. I, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> my wife and I need to sit there. Like, here's the game plan. We're going to watch out for That's Anne right. Shirley. She's going to corner us. <laughs> That's right. I promise I won't go down with my cousins and play pool in the basement. I promise. Well, honestly, like... And I know you can laugh at it, but I, I do that. My husband has a, a particular way of touching my shoulder, which tells me um, I'm asking a very direct and therapeutically sounding line of questions to somebody. <laughs> they're not interested in answering because I've kind of gone into working mode. And so he'll, um, he'll put his hand on my shoulder and that's always a cue to me like, oh yeah, I can... I can share a little bit about myself here or we can just talk about the weather or uh, it doesn't have to be about the person's childhood traumas right now. It can be about something else. So have the signals with each other, have codes, have ways of communicating that say, you know, I just with your eye across the room saying to the other person, I just I saw that conversation was really intense. Do you need me to come over and, and bail you out from what's going on? And when you look out for each other, then you're less likely to feel like you get into situations that you can't get out of on your own. Yeah. And those happen in lots of different families. So you're not alone if that happens to you. I'm going to I'm gonna tell Jess, if if you see my uncle courting me about hunting, just go, caw-caw. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
That's right. Make a noise, put a hand on a shoulder, kick somebody under the table. That's that usually Absolutely. that's what happens for me. No, uh, going going back a little bit to the gossip, Hillary. Like, uh, like to me, I'm noticing this more and more as my kids get a little bit older, and it's it's I would call it maybe like indirect gossip, okay. where I'm where I'm just talking about other people in front of my children. And I can't help but notice they're taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and it's not so much about what's said or not said to the person themselves or the gossip being spread from adult to adult. But it's the kids who are there hearing yeah, just the way we talked about each other. Yeah. Uh, what kind of impact does that have on them and them growing up and interacting? <laughs> Well, it's, it's quite profound because actually what we know from asking kids about what's modeled to them from their parents, it's not, it's not what the kids said to them or it's not what the parents said to their kids directly that is most important. Like brush your teeth, right? You look at your kids in the eye and you say, brush your teeth. It's what kids hear their parents say when their parents don't know that they're listening that impacts their worldview and their beliefs about themselves and their philosophy about spending and relationships and who's valuable and who's not valuable and what kinds of things are desirable in our society. And so you actually want to think about saying when your kids are around and maybe even when your kids aren't around, starting to talk in such a way that constructs a story of adulthood and the world and identity that you want for them to carry around for themselves when they grow up. And when I say that to people, often what they say is, that sounds like a lot of work. And it's true, it is a lot of work. Parenting is a lot of work. And and when you're doing it well and you're working hard at it, it's exhausting. But it's also a lot of work emotionally to help your kids pick up the pieces of their wounded identity later in life. It's also a lot of work when you see your kids suffering later in life. It's also a lot of work when you have to undo some of the things that you said that you didn't wish that you said. So I think it's a lot of work no matter what you're doing to parent. And it's really a question of, do I want to put that work in on the front end and be conscious about how I'm parenting now? Or do I want to put the work in after the fact when I'm picking up the pieces? It's kind of like that. I think it's, I think the Old Testament uses this a lot where it talks about, you know, tending to your garden, taking care of your garden. You pull the weeds when they're small. So right. before the weeds take over the entire garden and it makes so much more of a mess, so much more work. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing that I'm saying. Boom. Wait a, wait Boom. a, wait a Jesus Jew killery, Alex. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, not so much. I read it in the Bible it's once. <laughs> Old Testament Jew or, or something. <laughs> well, Hillary, you said it uh, a minute ago, you know, you, you mentioned like tuck part of your personality, tuck part of yourself away that maybe you don't want to be brought to light. And then I think of movements yeah. like, like, you know, the hashtag me too, where, right. you know, thousands of women were doing a great thing to, um, to, to help spark a movement and coming forward with some very personal information, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, a very public medium and mm-hmm. now they're maybe going to face family for the first time. Um, yeah. What, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think I might 
ask people to think a little bit about their level of comfort of disclosure and what they're willing to say in case people ask them. Um, and to be prepared to, to know what that boundary is and not go beyond it unless you're comfortable to do so. So maybe for some people, they might their level of comfort might only be to say something like, yeah, I posted that, um, but there's a reason why I haven't shared it. I don't feel comfortable talking about it, but I'm okay acknowledging it now uh, and acknowledging it that it happened, but don't want to get into details. And if that changes at some point, I'd be happy to share that with you. So we could talk about it, but for now, I'm, I'm not going to disclose that with the family. So saying something like that all the way to... I don't want to talk about that now, but why don't, you know, why don't you and I set up a coffee date um, sometime when we can really share with each other and I can talk about the things that are going on for me. Because I think what can happen is when people post something like that on Facebook, family members get interested, but from a voyeuristic perspective, they want to observe from the outside in, but don't want to take the time to unpack what's going on emotionally. They just kind of are curious to poke around the outside and get some get some information. And so if you feel like that's what's going on, you have every single right to be able to say something like, I'm not going to do that here at Thanksgiving dinner. But if you want to talk more, you can reach out and we can go for coffee. Uh, but if someone feels interested, and it seems that someone's interested, and you feel okay sharing, then I think it's okay to do so to the level that you feel comfortable with. But know that not everybody responds in really healthy or compassionate ways. Um, there can be all sorts of things like victim blaming and yeah. not understanding that assault was assault. Just saying, well, like, that happens to me all the time. That's not assault. And so I think you, you want to be careful about not putting yourself in a position where you're having to defend that your assault was actually an assault. But rather to talk about um, perhaps maybe the impact that the Me Too campaign has had on you as a survivor of assault or what it's been like to carry that around with you. Because what you don't want to have happen is make the Thanksgiving dinner awkward for yourself because now you've disclosed all of this stuff to try and keep somebody else happy, but they didn't know how to pick up the pieces. They're going back to eat their pumpkin pie, but you're sitting there having a traumatic flashback of how you were touched. Like You don't need to open that up on Thanksgiving just to keep someone else's curiosity curiosity satiated. So I would say if, if you want to talk about something and you don't know what to talk about and someone asks... Maybe keep it to the Me Too campaign or um, what it was like to see all that stuff on the internet and maybe even what what you wish could have happened in the family and you wish you could have said something and you're glad that it's out now so maybe there can be less of a culture of silence around assault. But you don't owe anyone details um, of your assault. You don't owe that to anyone, particularly people who aren't safe for you or won't have the compassion or presence to actually help you talk about it in a constructive way. So Hillary, I, I kind of have a question kind of in, I mean, this could apply for the, the hashtag me too, or any other, you know, plethora of issues that come up within families and what, Sure, yeah. but is it, do you recommend maybe meeting beforehand or after as a, after a, a big event, like a Thanksgiving or a Christmas maybe kind of airing out the dirty laundry before the event or maybe mm. after the event. Is is there a particular instance where that's maybe better or not? Because for me, like personally, like most of my family lives in Michigan. I think my, my, yeah. my relative that I, I see on a regular basis, like the furthest one lives like an hour away. 
So yeah. like when we do family, like we're all together usually. And like if I wanted to see a particular family member on the weekend, that's not a big stretch for me to drive an hour. Right. So right. yeah. Is there something that could be done? Like, is it maybe beneficial to do it beforehand? Or maybe it's something yeah. like, ah, I might be a little bit too close to the holiday. Let's wait till afterwards. You know what? I think if that person's a safe person to talk with and they are interested and you're interested, then I don't think there's um, any reason to wait. Okay. What I might say, though, is if if you say something ahead of time and that person really is a safe person for you, then maybe they can act as an ally for you. If something sticky comes up, they can be with you when you're having the hard conversation with so-and-so, or they can be your safe person to jump in and say, hey, I don't think you should ask so-and-so about that right now. And so you might feel like if somebody knows what you've been through and what you need, then they can act as your your support or cheerleader or protector in a way that they might not be able to if it happened after. That being said, sometimes it's really uncomfortable for some people to disclose something really, really personal or to talk about the hard stuff and then go into a weekend where it's supposed to feel like everything's supposed to be normal. So it can be advantageous in that situation to wait until you feel like there doesn't have to be so much pretending about normal. So I think it really depends on the person and the relationship and what you as a person need and what you're hoping from a disclosure uh, what you're hoping from, yeah, from that other person that you're talking to. Very, uh, wow. <laughs> like I said, like every time, every time I'm blown away by something, I either just go, wow, or I just say, <laughs> I'm processing. Okay, good, good. Yeah. That's helpful for me. Jason, so, uh, oh, I was going to say, uh, when do you want to get to the, this is production note. When do you want to get to the book? We'll get there in just a minute. I just had one more question okay. about yeah. So, Hillary, one more question about uh, about uh, family get-togethers and stuff, and this is for those who maybe have lost someone oh, uh, right man. before the holiday. This is their first holiday, their first Thanksgiving without somebody, or their first Christmas, or Friendsgiving, or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what what advice would you have for them and and getting through the holiday? Yeah. I think it can be it can be so tempting to try and protect yourself from thinking about the person to to not feel like you're going to emotionally fall apart. And for some people that might be the best thing for them. It might feel easy to kind of put a mask on and pretend because family isn't always safe unfortunately. But for people who feel like they can do this, what I might suggest is inviting the person who's gone back into the tradition in some way. So maybe set an empty table, uh, an empty place at the table for them or having their, have their photo around or go around together and say something that they're thankful for about that person that they lost or um, making some space and some time to talk about the person that's gone and what, what they would have liked about the event. So I think because we're uncomfortable about, about with death or talking about it, we often try and shut everything out in a way but whether it's public and with your whole family or just on your own, I would encourage you to connect with the person who you've lost in some way to bring a photo of them with you or to have a possession of theirs, to tell a story about them, to go on a walk on your own and think about all the things that you would tell them about what happened at dinner and when grandpa said such and such and think about all the ways that they would have laughed with you about the wild and wacky family that you have and or maybe do that more explicitly with other family members to, like I said, have a have an empty seat at the table and acknowledge just simply by having that there that there is an there is an ache 
that everybody is feeling um, that is symbolically represented by the by the space where that person would have sat just as a way of acknowledging that that the loss was real and it creates a chasm that can't be filled and can't be ignored yeah that's solid like 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 you talking and and saying that just now it reminded me a couple of years ago i don't i don't know if it was well it must have been planned to some extent but my i have an uncle who looks just like my grandpa who passed away several years ago and Mm. and my mom um looks very similar to her mom and so um one of our family traditions is gag gifts because our family's so big you can't get a gift for everybody so we just do gag gifts and stuff so uh my uncle dressed up like my grand my grandpa and my mom dressed up like my grandma like had one of her like like i'm I'm not saying like dressed up nice like their most hideous outfits right sure like classic grandma grandpa stuff and just just paraded around the room and Mm -hmm. it was it was everybody got such a good laugh it was hilarious but yeah you know, at at the same time, there. I mean, like it just. It, I don't know. For me, it just like I didn't get to experience that because I died when I was so young. So just seeing it played out and seeing all the aunts and uncles laugh and it, it just put everything kind of at ease. Like it's okay, mm, you know. Yeah. So, well, it's okay, but it's okay. The the it's okay is coming through the acknowledgement yeah. of what was and isn't anymore not an ignoring of that yeah (laughs) this made me think of a funny story too it was one my my grandma was always uh crocheting stuff and she uh one year she crocheted for everybody these um these um handle covers that would go over your uh like pots and pans so they didn't like a, a cast iron so they didn't burn you but one of my uncles made a joke about it looking like a Victorian era condom. <laughs> oh wow! Uh-huh. And so like she just she everybody this is was, not your pastor's podcast. Yeah, this is not your pastor's. But everybody was laughing so hard, and my grandma just running around the room, taking them back, like snatching them out. Uh-huh. Everybody's hands, <laughs> so embarrassed. It was oh, it was hilarious. That. So Hillary, like I feel like I I feel like we covered enough ground today. Where okay. m- maybe um. Maybe people, if they listen to this, don't feel obligated to take their therapist to Thanksgiving. So. I would hope so. Yeah, I think you... So. Or they can listen to this episode um, on the car ride there and back yeah. and feel like I'm with them or yeah. they got you guys with them. They're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they necessarily want us with them, but... Okay. We'll go along, we'll go along for the ride. Okay. All of us, all three of us becomes a package. Yeah. So you have a book that's out. I know. Can you believe it? Well, I can I believe it? It's pretty, pretty exciting and wild that it's out. I've been waiting for so long for this to happen. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. How long did it take for you to write this book? Oh, man, that's a question that people always ask. And it's, it's kind of a convoluted question. Because if you think about it's based on some of my master's research. And so all of that takes, what, two and a bit years. And then you write um, your whole thesis up, and that takes a long time. It's like a 300-page document. Oh, and, my gosh. And then I wrote a bunch of academic articles that were published in scientific journals based on my research. So by the time I got to actually write the book, 
And I was weaving together the stories from my clinical work and my research and my own life. It's, I've written it so many times and I was just kind of putting it in different language and putting it in language that was accessible to people who aren't in the academic community and also integrating some stories that weren't in my thesis originally. So if you think about all of that work, it probably took me, you know, four to five years of prep work to get the book ready. But then when I actually sat down to do it, it didn't take very long, just a few weeks. Yeah. And that was a few weeks of, of chunked writing time where often I would go away uh, on my own, get an Airbnb on a little island somewhere and, and sit and write for a few hours at a time. I just heard 300 page thesis paper and like I wanted to like have a heart attack. <laughs> no. You know, I saw... I saw my dad's dissertation on the bookshelf when I was a kid and said, I will never do that. And here I am doing it because I fell in love with what I do. And it's, they always remind <laughs> me about that. That's so funny. Like I was certain I would never, like with such disdain, I will never do that. And you know when you're interested in something and it feels meaningful and you are excited about the process, like it, sometimes those things just flow. And I could look at someone and say, I would never train for a marathon it's the same thing it's just a long process over time where you're committing to a singular goal and you're working up to something and when you write it it's not 300 pages at a time you write 20 here and then you write 20 there and you do a bunch of interviews and then you write 20 more pages and then you get revisions like it's it's a long process so it's it seems more daunting when you think of the the big big whole text as it is so the book is called Mothers, daughters, and body image, learning to love ourselves as we are. Yes, sir. You so, got it. Yeah. I mean, uh, at the time of this recording, the book is not out. But when we release the, the interview, the book is out. So we don't, we don't have the privilege of, of reading it beforehand. So I, I've heard in, the, um, in some of the other interviews you've done, that you had your own struggle with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about maybe that and how that played into writing this book? Yeah, I think um, it's so interesting to have that question asked of me because while it informs so much of the work that I do as a therapist, I'm often helping other people with their stories and not really talking about mine very much. So I know that some of my clients will be listening to this audio and will be reading the book and will think oh, there's a side to her I didn't know because so much of the work that I do means just holding space for other people and not necessarily talking about my own story. But my eating disorder uh, emerged probably when I was about 12 or 13 and came in various waves and different iterations and involved lots of medical intervention at different levels. And often what happened was I would be basically mandated to get treatment from my family or my doctor and would just kind of convince them that I was better. And then when treatment was over, I would find another way to get sick again. And literally, I mean, find another way because I wasn't ready to change. I wasn't ready to be healthy. So I learned to fake it pretty good. And people focused a lot on symptoms and on weight and on diagnoses. And then I met this therapist, and I talk about this in the book in one of the later chapters. I met this therapist who really saw me. And she didn't necessarily even talk very much about symptoms or weight or labels, but got to know me as a human. And it changed everything for me because it was what I was looking for all along is to feel like I wasn't alone with my pain. I wasn't um, 
so broken that people couldn't see that there was something good about me that I was worth loving. And really, when I think about the eating disorder, it was a lot of my own distress coming out in strange ways. It was me not knowing how to feel and not knowing how to ask for help and not knowing how to to feel connected in the midst of distress. And I talk about that in the last chapter of the book about why I think that is and, and what people can do about that kind of thing and how they might experience something similar in their lives. But then to be seen by someone and be connected and to feel like I don't need to disappear, I don't need to die just to make the pain go away changed everything for me. And so although I don't describe in the book the kind of the nitty gritty of the symptoms, because I don't really think that's important. It's, it can feel more like people's curiosity and less about um, understanding the, the things that transform us. I, I share my story of learning to love my body post eating disorder and through eating disorder, and also tell the stories of the women in my research who never had an eating disorder, but found a way to love their bodies and love themselves just, just as they are. And, and so I talk a little bit about my relationship with my body and my eating disorder, but it's, it, the book is a collection of stories and the stories are of women's relationships to their own bodies and what, what we do as a culture and as a society and in community and in parent-child relationships that foster those relationships. Yeah. I mean, you, you talking about finding that therapist that really resonates with me and having my mm -hmm. own anxiety dis disorder in the right. past and going through a lot of therapists and having them listen to you, but until you find the one who's like, okay, this one's actually hearing me. Right. <laughs> that's there's, right. There's a difference there. So yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, that makes total sense to me. And it's cool that you, I mean, after the fact, I don't know if I'm putting an over spiritual thing, like, uh, finding the positive within, in the negative, you know, using this kind of as uh, a springboard, you know, oh. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say that? Like, it's the reason, the entire reason that I'm a therapist is that yeah. I think that all of us experience pain in life, but we don't have to do it alone. And just like God doesn't take away our pain, but says I'm with you and I understand and I know, I know how hard it is to suffer and I want more for you. I feel like in a way that's what I want to be able to do for other people to say, I can't necessarily rescue you. I'm going to do my very, very best to help you feel like you don't have to suffer to this extreme or in this way, but no matter what, I'm going to not, not let you be alone in this. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to see you and I'm going to see the real you and all the beauty in that, even though there's some stuff that you carry shame about or the stuff that other people find to be disgusting or gross or maladaptive or whatever. Like I want to see, I want to see the beautiful things in you and help you see those things too. And in that, I believe in that, that there's transformation, that, that it's from a place of feeling love that we change, not change so that we can be loved. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. That, that is awesome. So the the book is written for women, I'm, I'm guessing by the title, uh, Mothers yeah. and Daughters. You know what I have to say for people who've been reading it? Yeah. On Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, I've heard over and over and over again from men who've been picking up their wives' copies because I have a bunch of people who, even before it was released, um, got some copies and bought some off me and whatnot. And they've been saying it's not just for women. 
it's for it's for people to understand what it's like to be a woman in this world and to understand, especially if you have daughters or if you know someone or love someone who had an eating disorder or struggles with body image or for guys who struggle with body image. It's it's like how I can read a book like Iron John by Robert Bly about masculinity and understand so much more about the world. You don't just have to be a man to read books about being a man. Yeah, it can I, help all of us to read about what it means to be human and some of the things that the people that we love struggle with. I feel like you're really doing yourself a disservice from a marketing standpoint. I mean, you come out with mothers and daughters. I mean, the next book can be called <laughs> Fathers and Sons, and you could re- right. you could make a killing. But, <laughs> I, I mean, well, here you are saying it's for yeah. everybody. I mean, come, <laughs> come on, Hillary. That's right. You got you got me right. The heart of my mm-hmm. my work is to make capitalist ventures. Well, I mean. Um, kind of take over the world. Okay. Yeah, I, know, I know you are. That's <laughs> okay, funny. Yeah. Hail yeah. Hillary. Hail. <laughs> oh gosh, no. <laughs> no. I can tell you why I'm interested and it's just yeah. uh, a simple Bible verse of love your wife in an understanding way. Mm. And I feel like there's so much that I don't understand. Oh, it's, good pull. Yeah. Good pull. Yeah, I know. I've been working on that one for a while. You like that? No, <laughs> hey, hey. no like I, I read that verse. I think it's in First Peter. Yeah. Um, and I mean, love your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. And I can't think of how many times I was just so frustrated. Like, why doesn't she get it? How come my words aren't connecting? And, right. yeah. and it's 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 deeper than that i i think and so like i i understand that like well i understand i live that frustration of trying harder every day to to love my wife in an understanding way and um i haven't read your book yet but i i feel like it's going to help with that i hope so because i think a big part of understanding and loving well is being educated like understanding is information and experience and where those two things meet in the middle. And so I think it would be advantageous for anyone who wants to love anyone well to do the best that they can to be educated about what it's like for the other person to connect with an experience that that reminds you of. Like maybe there's never been an experience of eating disorder or body shame or body dysmorphia, but you know what it's like to be trapped inside the lies of anxiety and to feel like you can't get out. Yeah. Right. It's even if someone says to you, just don't worry how how patronizing and foolish that can feel or sound because you're trying not to worry. It's more complex than that. So we can I think we can find points of connection to everyone that we meet by understanding how their experiences are similar to ours and in doing so can love them better. I'm just processing. (laughs) There you go. Good. I'm so glad you warned me about that. So I know. I know what's going on. <laughs> no, Hillary, I think we've got like we got like a minute left or so. Is, sure. is there yeah, anything yeah. else you want to say uh, about your book? Uh, no, I just not about the book, but I just hope that people read it and and not um, not for any other reason than because there's so much more to life than the things that we're doing with our bodies as women and the lies that we're believing and the stories that we're telling each other about what it means to be feminine or physical or sexy or beautiful and and I think that the lies that we believe about our bodies and our appearances keep us from having a life that's full where we can connect with other people where we can experience richness and depth every day and so I don't care if you buy one copy and pass it around to everyone that you know 
and you know it I don't care what sales are I don't care what um, like there's no ego in this for me it's about helping people feel like they don't have to suffer the way that I did and so I hope with that in mind that people catch some vision or light it lights some fire in them in some way that helps us transform the story about being human awesome. yeah I think that's it yeah <laughs> where can people find it uh, Amazon, I think, uh, big box bookstores um, in Canada, at Chapters in Indigo. Um, but I know Amazon delivers everywhere. If you don't want to get out of your house, you can have them bring it right to you. And there's a um, an ebook that will be released. That's I think also released on the 31st. And then I will be doing at some point. I or someone else will be doing an audiobook so that will be coming in the future. Awesome. Yeah. That's more of my wheelhouse, yeah. audiobooks. Al- Alex yeah. is all about the audiobooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Hillary, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. What a joy to talk to you guys. And, and good luck with your Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Dude, Alex, that was great. I'm still taking notes. <laughs> Self-care. Not multiple pies. Got it. Oh, man. Dude, I you know what? I pitched the idea to her. Like, hey, Hillary, can you come on and do like a... Solid idea, dude, A by Thanksgiving the way. special, you know, for us. And like, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And she, st- she blew it out of the water for she me. She certainly like, did. Like... I, I got it. hats off to you, my friend, for thinking about it. Because, I mean, for one, she's got a bunch of stuff going on for Hillary McBride. She's super smart, super talented. She's got a book yes. out right now. Yeah, she, what she mentioned, Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, Learning to Love Ourself as We Are. I saw uh, Science Mike tweeted it out, or, or he posted on Instagram or something, and just got uh, a crap ton of like likes and stuff. So, I mean, this book is going to do really well. And I'm soup is speaking of thanksgiving i'm just really thankful that she took two hours out of her like schedule of appointments to talk to me and you <laughs> and she was like super pleasant and awesome and like oh, yeah. I just, it's just such a pleasure to speak with our our neighbors to the north it's especially just, hillary mcbride yeah i can't get over that she had us like penciled in in her calendar <laughs> between like two clients <laughs> And it's it's all for you, the listener. Like we I, love you guys. I wanted to bring this to you. Like I've I've been through therapy before. I've I've had different therapists, and you know, and and growing up and just having those awkward family moments, like every family has. And then I just the thought popped in. I was like, what if you took your therapist to Thanksgiving dinner? How nuts would that be? And so, Jason just ruined the audio with his vibrating phone. Whatever. <laughs> It's still good. So, Jason, we just did an awesome interview with Hillary McBride, but you and I are taking a small little Thanksgiving break, obviously. Spend some time with our family, so no episode next week, guys. Just hang out with your family. Get those Black Friday deals. (laughs) You materialists out there. (laughs) We'll be back in December. Yeah, so we're going to be back in December with an awesome interview with a band. uh, They're called Bringing Down Broadway. Oh, I've never heard of them. Strange. Yeah, I've never heard of them either. 
<laughs> that's alex's band but they they really do have an awesome story and, and we jason and i really wanted you guys to uh, uh to hear it and also we're going to be recording somewhere new we'll let you guys know on the social media is where we're going to be at Ooh. so you guys got to go to the facebook yeah you got to go to the instagram and you gotta go to twitter yeah twitter is like the easiest way to communicate with us so at ny pastors hit us up on twitter and talk to us and we love hearing the feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And we usually read some of the feedback that we get. Yep. So, our five-star reviews. Or five-star reviews. Please, we need to dethrone Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. <laughs> you just give it up with that. Uh, we're, we're taking down menopause. <laughs> yeah. One five-star review at a okay. time. All right. It's going to happen. You're coming on a little strong. <laughs> Simmer. Simmer. I've had multiple pieces of pie. Okay. I just wanted to say, too, that um, if you want to record a Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, please visit our website, notyourpastorspodcast.com. Check out all the sweet stuff on all of our episodes are on there. All of mine and Alex's random thoughts are on there. And we have a, a page on there called Pulpit where you can submit your sermon. We have some amazing sermons on there from some amazing people, and it's meant... It's meant for everybody. So listen to those, record your own, send it to us. We'll post it. It'll be great. And you'll be glad you did it. So everybody, Jason and I, we're pulling for you this this Thanksgiving season. We'll be praying for you. Always keep your stick on the ice.